This is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. I'm Chris Fitch. Imagine that today was the day that you arrived for the very first time in the UK to live. Just think about that for a second. What would your first impressions be? What might stand out about the culture you just arrived in? How might you get on with the language? And most critically, just how would you go about figuring out how money works in this new setting so you could pay your bills, open accounts and get on financially day to day? In today's podcast, we're talking to Joshua Aspden, a specialist in financial inclusion among refugee and asylum seeker populations, who has helped hundreds, if not thousands of people to do just that. Welcome to Vulnerability Matters, Josh. Uh, great to have you here. Um, let's start right at the beginning. Let's start with your experience of being new to the UK. When was this and what was it like in general terms? First of all, Chris, thanks for uh, inviting me uh, to give this chat. Um, yeah, so I arrived here in, in 2001. And yeah, I'd say my experience within the sort of understanding how finance um, was compared to Ecuador uh, was a, a pretty sharp learning curve. I think one thing that stood out straight away was the, this, this uh, no bartering or negotiation. It's all at a fixed price. Uh, something in Ecuador that was a, a daily, uh, a daily experience, and I think also if we cast our minds back to two thousand and one, um, in Ecuador, for example, only specific people that had a, a certain amount in their accounts were eligible for things like credit cards and and other financial products. Whereas coming to the UK, everybody seemed to to have a savings card, a bank account, building society. So there's more sort of financial products in, um, uh, than you could ever imagine. And, and I think just simple things like um, going to buy a, a toothbrush, you know, I found that incredibly overwhelming because obviously getting used to the new denominations, but also buying it to the news agents rather than the supermarket because I didn't know where the supermarket was. And um, so while my experience is is one of migration, but obviously not in the same circumstances uh, that refugees and asylum seekers go through. There's still that sort of commonality of uh, going into a, a new financial culture and sort of tripping up all over the place. You know, mm. so it's, it's a culture shock. It's a it's a finance shock. Um, it's the shock at shock of the new. Josh, you've worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of people uh, who are new to the UK, new to money. Um, could you tell us a, bit, a little bit about that work? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I've been in the sector for about ten years, and I've worked in in different uh, uh, different roles, uh, starting from the sort of homeless sector, uh, working with uh, migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers, and then I moved to a financial inclusion role at a refugee community uh, charity. I was there for about five years, which is where I really uh, got to grips with all these different financial trends and, and conceptualizing and really got an understanding of how it all worked. And I've moved, uh, and then I moved to a more research-based role um, on the diaspora work. And, and now I'm working in the sort of migration governance, migration policy 
space. So kind of a, a 360 angle of all the different areas. Now, your work with asylum seekers and refugees, now, this is an incredibly complex area. So I'm you've given me a little bit of homework here. I'm going to try and summarise what I think this uh, th- th- these terms cover off, and then you're going to mark my homework, Josh. So um, I'm a bit nervous about this, but <laughs> it's complex. But as, as I understand it, um, asylum seekers are people who come to the UK for protection because of danger or persecution in their country. It could be due to race, religion, political opinion. In short, they're, they're seeking asylum. When they get here, the UK government uh, assess each asylum claim. Uh, it can take six months to a year to decide this. And during that time, uh, people can't work, but they can get a bank account uh, into which a, a small weekly amount, I think it's around £40, is paid by the government for food, clothing and toiletries. And then if the government offer asylum, these people become refugees and they're given five years to live in the UK. They can work, they can pay bills, they can apply for financial services, and they can also apply to live indefinitely in the UK. But if asylum is not offered, and appeals or alternative grounds to stay are not successful. Uh, financial support is likely to be stopped and actions taken to remove them from the UK. Is, is that right, Josh? I've kind of tried to summarise it there. Um, yes, I'd say the, the premise of what you said is right. I would say that uh, picture is far more complicated. And I would say that the the whole um, legislation around uh, asylum seekers, uh, refugees, and resettlement cha- is changing at uh, at pace in the last few years. Uh, what, but what I would say in terms of the the um, bank account, um, it's actually just a card that people are allowed, and they can only spend it in different places, so they can't actually receive money on this card. Um, but yes, it is a uh, forty pound per person, and there's a slight difference if if there's some vulnerabilities within that. Uh, medical vulnerabilities or otherwise um but yes uh, you, you've uh, summed up um, summed it up pretty well so a c a c plus for effort there and, and th- th- there's a there's a further element because people may be thinking here about um um ukraine or maybe some of the uh, or syria people can also apply on humanitarian protection grounds so if they're fleeing a war zone uh, so rather than being persecuted due to race religion or another factor they can apply to stay in the uk and it's broadly the same process uh, for human t- humanitarian protection grounds? Um, yes, it's broadly the same process. Um, just to give listeners a sort of direction if, for, um, to look at a website for further uh, sort of investigation, if you will, would be uh, the Right to Remain website. And that kind of gives an organogram and a flow chart of the different uh, outcomes and, and information on each, on each bit of people. Absolutely. Um, it's a very helpful resource I've had a look at. So let's move us on, um, so Josh, into um, thinking again about when you first came to the UK. You mentioned trying to purchase that toothbrush uh, coming to uh, coming into kind of a, the state of kind of culture shock, financial shock. What difficulties can people new to the UK have uh, based on your experience of working with them, uh, having navigating the UK financial services system? Um. I think the the main issues is is I think because people have grown up in in different financial systems, either in a transit country or their home country, trying to almost unlearn some of that while living in the UK can be incredibly difficult. 
um, and understanding the complexities of the financial system here. For example, the the difference between estimated cost on a um, for your energy bill, the estimated cost that you can pay versus when you give the meter readings. I've worked with many individuals that uh, have been paying estimated costs for years because uh, they weren't aware that they um, had to give in uh, meter readings, which obviously will give a more precise bill. And and I think yeah, the the people are often often come from uh, mercantile and cash based systems, so having everything electronically based and trying to keep track of that almost is um, people do have have difficulty. Uh, with you, use that. The term, you use the term there, Josh, mercantile. Uh, so we, we, the, the researcher in you, the academic in you, has come out. What would you mean by mercantile? I'd say mercantile in in the sense that there's more negotiation, more uh, more bartering, um, even if it might seem like a fixed price. So there's, I would say in general, whereas um, in the UK, I would say it's more highly regulated. And when when people are new and they're navigating, uh, so like the way in which money works in the UK. Um, Obviously, they're getting some help from people like yourself. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. But there's also elements of help from the local community, some helpful, some not so helpful in terms of migrants who are already here in the UK. Can you tell us a bit more? Uh, yes, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of advice services uh, that deal with uh, debts, budgeting and, and other sort of financial inclusion initiatives. Um, I would say this does have some impact, but I think it is limited in a way because... Uh, people do have uh, obligations and they do have responsibilities, for example, to send remittances abroad to support family members, either in transit or in the home country. And in terms of advice, it's quite difficult for advice organizations to advise on on, on that because there's a finite amount of money that they might have through universal credit or their wages. Um, and so spending it might mean that to to as remittances or informal lending might mean that they um they might get into a lot of debt so that's when interaction with the advice agency uh, happens uh, quite uh, quite frequently um but at the same time uh, individuals will also turn to their communities their diaspora communities um and the diaspora communities can be a great source of information uh, for certain things. Uh, but what I would say is that I have tended to find that while some of the information uh, was relevant, it, it can be um, slightly out of date or biased. It's not given in a sort of advice mm. given context. So that can be um, that can mean that the information might not be as up to date or is uh, specific to the person's context is, uh, is uh, necessary. And I think, in all honesty, this is where uh, charities and other sectors should really be building a bridge between the diaspora community and advice agencies to perhaps uh, train up um, intercultural communicators uh, with a sort of financial edge to be able to bridge the, that gap in order to... for. Um, uh, in order for financial uh, knowledge to be cascaded, but also to understand the context in which refugees and uh, asylum seekers live and, and their family obligations overseas, etc. So I don't, I don't think we'll find like a perfect um, 
solution, but I think we should be uh, looking at, at this kind of thing more proactively. So these diaspora communities, which are uh, people from maybe the home country or common cultural background who are already settled in the UK, um, might give advice. But as you're saying there, Josh, it might be the uh, the friend in the community is perhaps giving that outdated advice, um, maybe inaccurate, uh, maybe just uh, totally incorrect, which can be quite damaging to an individual in terms of how they engage. Yes, um, I think... Um, I mean, yeah, in those dark terms, yes, I think it is getting slightly better because more um, more people from the diaspora communities are actually working more in advice agencies um, in general. So I think that's uh, that will probably have a positive effect. But I think, yeah, this needs, needs a sort of structural uh, change to sort of refocus some of the budgeting advice, for example. When, when I did budgeting advice, it would often be, let's say there was £600 and you had allocation for rent, utilities, um, and, uh, different bills and, and goods and stuff. Uh, you would also have um, like maybe £200, which was unaccounted for. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, I had to send that to my uh, brother in, in Sudan. And I had to send uh, some money uh, to a friend as well to support uh, his family reunion application because um, he helped support mine and so yeah there's, there's that sort of in, informal uh, network which is sort of almost like a solidarity network and, and the advice comes with it but it's it's difficult in not being in, a, in an advice setting because it's it, it, and I think that's where the, the pitfalls lie. Mm. So it's understanding some of this cultural background this isn't just about um for, for our colleagues, um, people listening, working in essential services, isn't just about translation of words or interpretation. It's about understanding some of this cultural background and this approach. And one of the things that's really stood out when I've, I've seen you um, sort of give talks is that actually when people come to the UK, um, they often don't come with a blank slate. Uh, they often can have quite quickly some serious financial challenges or some existing difficulties uh, that they come with. Can you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, I mean, there there are also uh, multiple different uh, sort of financial challenges that, that refugees and vulnerable migrants face. Um, I'll, I'll focus on one just to really give some context to listeners. Uh, so one major challenge uh, is that of debt and indebtedness, and that's in the UK context, and also the international context. So I'll sort of break I'll break this down for listeners. So there are four main categories, official, unofficial, third-party unofficial, and associated family debts. And I think it would be great to really contextualize this, put the meat on the bones if, if I gave an example of an individual. Uh, so uh, let's take the example of Ibrahim, a refugee from Sudan living in, in the UK, originally from Darfur uh, in Sudan and fleeing the conflict there and current conflict engulfing the rest of the country. He will most likely have debts in the four main categories. So official UK debts, this will be things like council tax, uh, arrears, rent arrears, utilities debt. So things where within the UK system that's official, that includes a national insurance number and address, uh, and where there are creditors and debtors, and so it's all registered and official. Uh, the next category where he will most likely have a debt is unofficial UK debt. And this is debt that is um, that individuals have with informal lending networks. And this could be 
money owed to he's from Sudan, so it could be the Sudanese community or other adjacent communities, um, perhaps the the Libyan community, perhaps the Eritrean community that that might um, uh, be in his local area, um, and, and they might uh, go to the uh, all be members of the same mosque, this kind of thing. And then there's third party unofficial debt. So this is uh, where it starts to get more international. And this would be, for example, money owed to smugglers or money lenders, uh, unofficial money lenders that facilitated the journey to the UK. Uh, journeys take everything from a matter of weeks up to five years. People can be traveling. So they do need uh, capital to uh, or you know, pay half and then pay the rest later. Um, and then there's also associated family debt. So if we consider the reasons why people flee or or how they flee, um, you normally don't have a huge amount of time to you know, take your money out and, and to really plan. You really have to leave. So family members often um, sell land, uh, sell businesses, borrow money in order for their loved ones to flee. Um, or as we saw with Ukraine and Sudan, it's a matter of days where people have to leave everything they knew and they have to come, uh, well, the uh, fleets wherever they can. And uh, in this case, it's the UK. Can you give us another example about the uh, types of misunderstandings or difficulties that people new to the UK can have in terms of money? Uh, yes, I think uh, one sort of clear example I can give you from my time as a financial inclusion officer and assisting someone with a payment. Um, there was a family from Sudan who had done their weekly shopping. They had refugee status. They paid for their shopping, which was around um, £100. And they looked at their bank account, I think, day after, and they realised that the £100 hadn't been taken. They're sort of... Um, uh, rationale or logic in this uh, context obviously if you can imagine they come from a, um, a different financial culture and context uh, was that oh uh, this hasn't been paid for and so they went back and did another shop of 100 pounds uh, ending up uh, spending 200 pounds and the same thing happened the the 100 pound wasn't charged on the account and it was only um, the next week that the clearing on the card had it had happened and so they were 200 pounds down as we know some shops or retailers will uh, take the money a few days later a week later but it will still be charged so but, something yeah. that can catch catch everybody out but actually if you're new to the uk um you you may think actually i've spent that um oh but it's not been charged no really helpful fantastic josh absolutely fascinating today so much uh so much more that could be said um, you've given us already a few resources, a few links. Is there an additional one where we can find out a bit more about you and about your work or where you might direct people to? Um, I, I would guide uh, listeners here to probably look at uh, news updates uh, from organisations such as UNHCR, Refugee Council, Refugee Action, um, just to, because, uh, just to look at the different uh, updates around these different areas. Fantastic. So do look Josh up on um, uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, but Josh, a huge thanks uh, for today. Thank you very much. And that was Josh Aspen. Absolutely fascinating. You can find Josh on LinkedIn. And if you ever get a chance to attend a longer session or a talk that Josh sometimes gives, 
do seize it with both hands. There's so much more that he covers in these. As always, do drop me a line on LinkedIn or on X, where I'm at Chris underscore Fitch, to let me know your thoughts or to ask Josh a question. And if you do, I'll put you in the draw to win one of our amazing Vulnerability Matters mugs, with our most recent winner being Jan Levy of Three Hands. Your mug is on the way, Jan. Okay, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. So until next time, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it well. And thanks for remembering that vulnerability matters. Vulnerability Matters was produced by Mandy McGreevy and Phil King and brought to you by the Money Advice Trust.